Thanks for being here. Breitbart News Daily. The full show is on SiriusXM Patriot, but we give you two segments here every day. So we kicked off the show at 5 a.m. I was thinking yesterday about 5 a.m. <laughs> I don't, I don't, um, I don't tailor the show to time of day. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what, like, what should morning radio be at 5 a.m. Central Time? Like, it should be. Good morning. Welcome to a beautiful, shine, sun shining day. Let's talk about lighthearted. Like, it should be like the Today Show. We should do an hour of the Today Show before the show really starts at at. Uh, 6 a.m. Central Time. That way people are awake a little more and can really focus on the heavy stuff. We don't. We just come right out with it. <laughs> like, wake up. Let's get going. So today we talked about people ripping down signs. Those, uh, those signs with uh, Israelis who are kidnapped. And the question is, what would you do? What would you do if you were, if you saw this, if you saw someone do this? Talk about that. Here it is. I think we mentioned this video i'm sure we did but i don't think we didn't play it because there's a lot of swear words in it we we think we bleeped all the swear words out and i think it's important to play and we have an update to it now so there's all these videos of people tearing down these signs so in different cities new york city and other places college campuses there are these kidnapped signs you've seen these right so it's it's so like a normal piece of paper and the top in red letters or red with white letters says kidnapped. And then there'll be a child in Israel who was kidnapped by Hamas and is still kidnapped by Hamas. And people will put them up all over different places. And these people, I don't know, what do you want to call them? Pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas, just anti-Semites, I don't know, whatever. They're, they walk around, they tear them down. And people get them on video doing it. Hey, man, what are you doing? And they're proud. They're proud of it. Ripping these signs down. Like, they're straight up. So one of these videos, this is, I presume, Muslim guy, who's tearing down these signs, these kidnapped signs. And someone videos it, and the initial guy is pretty weak. Actually, I think we, is this in the video, Zach, the initial guy? I think it is. The initial guy's, hey, man, what are you doing? So at first, the guy is uh, proud. The Muslim guy is strutting about, and, you know, he doesn't say anything, I don't think, but he's just, he's like, no problem. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm ripping down signs. <laughs> like I'm ripping down these signs of Jews. And then the video cuts and I'd love to see whoever made this video originally, like what happens in that cut there. But two New Yorkers straight out of central casting come out of nowhere and have something to say to this uh, Muslim guy. Here's the video. Why do you rip it off? Why do you rip it off? Why do you rip it off? Put it back. Why do you rip it off? Put it back. Well, show me what you're holding. So, yeah, keep it on. No, what are you doing? Do you know where they are right now? Do you have any idea where they are right now? All right. I'm a veteran. I'm telling you. All right. Don't rip do it. I'm not you're Jewish. He's not Jewish. I don't know if he is or not. Does it matter? This is from the U.S. This is New York City. You don't have a feel right to touch this. This is a free country. You can wave your Palestine flag and say death to the Jews or America, whatever you want. But we can put up some signs, okay? We then don't rip that down. You are doing something. You're offending us. Yeah, you are. When you throw that on the floor, you're littering the city. In a minute, I'm going to litter off your floor with you. You have a proof. So move the gun. You have proof they're not kidnapped. No. So shut the fuck. I know that's what you want. I'm dying if they put you in the hospital. Come on. You get the essence of it, right? The edits edits break the rhythm of of the moment. It it breaks the poetry, if you will, perhaps, of the moment, but you you get the energy. My favorite part is uh, the, the guy turns into a stammering. Oh, oh. And at one point he says, oh, it's littering. And the guy says, I'm going to litter the street with you in a minute. Oh, 
And like the guy's like, oh, it's littering as in uh, I'm just cl- I'm clearing off like like he's like an HOA board president. He's like, oh, you can't you're not allowed to put posters on the light post, even though there's two posters on the light post that he's shown ripping down. But he only rips down one of them. One is about a furniture sale coming up this Saturday. So he doesn't have a problem with that littering. He does with the picture of the kidnapped person in Israel. So uh, but you see what just a little bit, a little bit of masculine imposition does to this hmm, I don't want to call him a coward because he's doing it without a mask on in daylight so there's something to be said for that I suppose but just what just this person what what a, what a little bit of masculine imposition does when standing up for the truth and righteousness That masculine imposition is a powerful thing. It's a masculine imposition that's been told to, uh, to be quiet and sit down. I don't want to pivot to abortion. I will not. But we've, it's a good example of how that masculine energy has been told to be silent, has been neutered by screeching feminists that you're not allowed to have an opinion on abortion, the most important moral issue of our era. You, you man are not allowed to have an issue, a, a, a opinion on it. And I think the most pathetic thing I've ever heard a man say is, well, that's a woman's decision. I'm, I'm not going to, on life, <laughs> human life, there's a woman, give me a break. But they've been successful in silencing men. And I think men have gotten used to being quiet. And that's one major reason why we are where we are. So here, here's one example, just one minor example of some masculine, some toxic masculinity coming out, and the guy turns into a stammering fool. It's what we need more of. So that was a couple of days ago, and uh, someone found him. I don't know what happened. I don't know if a guy like noticed the background and was like, I know where that is. I'm going to go look for him. Or if a guy was just walking down the street, and they're like, hey, there he is. But someone found him. Not the Muslim guy. They found the construction guy. And here... He is. <laughs> this is how the superstars. Well, go ahead. Just sit there and just No, I'm not a superstar. I'm just a regular guy who didn't like what I saw, and it, it shouldn't be celebrated what I did. It, it should be normal. Everyone should react like that. that. This shouldn't be a news story because someone doesn't like posters of murdered children and kidnapped children being taken down. This should be the norm, not the exception. What that guy was doing should be the exception. Anyway, that, that's it. <laughs> thank you. Listen, let me shake your hands, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Much. Let me see you all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, be inspired. Be inspired. Here's the deal. I know. I know. I keep mentioning this story, but it's just—it's such a perfect encapsulation of so many things. I keep mentioning this this homeless pedophile who molested a 12 and a 15 year old in San Francisco and he's camped outside of an all girls school selling meth and fentanyl. He just camped right outside the school. Obviously not allowed to do that. Uh, but even if you weren't allowed by the law, my point is, like, I, I can think of no better example, maybe other than the abortion thing, of the cowardliness, is that a word? cowardliness of men that allowed a a pedophile to a drug dealing pedophile to be right outside the school. If there, if there's 200 girls at that school, you would think there would have been 200 dads in this guy's face until he leaves. No sane society would put up with this guy, but he's not scared of anyone. You're not scared of anyone. Just like these people ripping down the posters. They're doing it in daylight. But they're not scared. They're not scared. These like like that, this even this, this homeless guy, he's pretty like ra- like I'm just you know, in quotes here, like rational guy. Like he's on an interview with him. He's not totally insane. He can he can understand fear. He's enough there to understand fear. And he has none because there's nothing to be scared of. Like he's right. There's nothing to be scared of. Here he is. He was arrested. They let him go the same day. And he went back to the same place. Because he knows. What are they going to do? 
It's the same thing with the transgender guy in the, in the girls' locker room for the Penn swim team or whatever. The second day that that man changes in the women's locker room at the University of Pennsylvania, every woman's dad should have been there and intervened and just put an end to it. That's it. You're, hey, man, like you're not get out of here. Like you, there's no way you're coming back in that women's locker room. Get out of here. Go swim somewhere else. And there's so many examples of where men have abstained because we've been told toxic masculinity. Oh, you've been toxic. Real quick on toxic. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. There's no such thing. There's entire college lectures and like whole things. There's a whole field of study on toxic masculinity. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity because masculinity is a virtue. And you can't have a toxic virtue. impossible there's no such thing as a toxic virtue because virtue is good uh the the fruits of the spirit are love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self-control you can't have toxic peace you can't have toxic joy you can't have toxic self-control there's no such thing as toxic patience doesn't make sense right masculinity is a virtue you can't have toxic masculinity. you can have not properly defined masculinity but that's not toxic it's not that's not masculinity (laughs) Proper masculinity is a virtue. It can't be toxic. In fact, we need way more of it. What a perfect example of how perhaps the opposite is true. We're told the problem in our society is too much virtue or too much uh, masculinity. That would be like saying, oh, pff, too much virtue around here. So we got rid of masculinity and then all this, it's just chaos, obviously. So we need a little bit of that, a little bit of that masculinity back. A little bit of that masculine imposition back. Because we've had too many men who have abstained. And the cowards rationally have concluded they have nothing to fear. I don't don't know if we're prepared. (laughs) I don't know if we're prepared for what's to come. Maybe you can't be. Maybe you can't fully prepare. Are you? Are you spiritually prepared are you emotionally prepared are you physically prepared for anything for all this for everything that's coming the uh, uh the marine corps ball was canceled the marine corps ball was just canceled because of unforeseen developments right so it's like okay like we're at war that's one thing but we also have an election coming up so our tv special this week on the first tv it's about the election we're one year away from the election this election coming up We'll make, and I feel like there's a little calm before the storm right now, so it's hard to envision this, but the election coming up is going to make 2016 look like nothing. And 20, like 2016 was a, a frolicking joy, joy stroll through the park. And it kind of was because no one thought, or the left didn't think Trump was going to win. So it's like, it's like a shoe in for Hillary. So it's like, oh, we can just laugh at Trump and then we'll win. It'll be great. And the glass ceiling will break. Blah, blah. 2020 was horrific. It'll be way, way, way worse. Way, way worse. No one in the media is like, man, I mean, I guess Trump's not that bad. We'd prefer if Biden won, but if it's Trump, we'll make it work. No, none of that. The closer it gets to looking like Donald Trump will win, this will be framed as an existential crisis. And Trump will be Hamas. And you'll be Hamas. And if Trump wins, it'll be the absolute end of the world. And they will act like it. And you'll be the problem, of course. So, like, get ready for that. I know it's, again, kind of calm right now. Trump's not really in the news. But as we get closer, it's going to be crazy. So that's, that's just, like, one. And then we have war and then just the state of our country moving forward. Let's take a little peek into the crystal ball, shall we? There's a man in England. And this story's on Breitbart.com. There's a man in England who posted a video. And he's outside in his neighborhood in England. And within eye shot, so just standing around, he's in the middle of the street, he's just standing around, oh, there's, and he sees uh, four Palestinian flags hanging off of light poles and buildings. There's four, four, one, two, three, four. And then there's a, a store with like a strand of Palestinian flags. Little ones, right? Little, like a, I'm trying to say, like a strand of them, like across the entrance of his, of his store. So he's like, hmm. <laughs> This is weird. Here's the video of that that he posted, and it's kind of hard to hear because he's got a very British accent. 
But uh, here it is. This morning, and this is the kind of shit that's going on. Yeah. So there's a look at this. Yeah, you see it? And then over here at this one, we've got this going on as well. Yeah. And then we come along to this pole here, and they've done the same crap here as well. Look at this. Jesus. This is this is what we're dealing with. This is not fucking on. And then you're up in this one here, you see that? Yeah. Same here as well. This is the kind of crap that we're dealing with. This is the kind of nonsense, yeah? Yeah. This is the kind of nonsense we're dealing with, Bethnal Green. You let them into the country, and this is the shit they come up with. Again, all these Palestinian flags all over his country, his, his city, his town. So he posted that video, and uh, then there's a follow-up video. It's a six-minute video of him being arrested. There is no freedom of speech in England. They don't have it. And it's weird for us to, and I remember doing this years ago. There'd be people who would send out a tweet, and they would get a knock on the door from the police. I remember reporting on that. It just doesn't, that story doesn't even make sense in our, in our American brain that that could happen. I've been saying it for years. Europe and England, they don't have freedom of speech. And he posted an unallowed view. He's not allowed to, to post that because it's offensive. It's offensive or threatening. And people reported it to the police and he got arrested. And the police came out and said that two people reported him and he got arrested. He got arrested. Now, I, I'm, I'm leaving out a little bit of hope, I guess, that there's something else in that initial video that we're missing. You know, there's something else in that original video where he says, I'm going to kill all the pal, right? But I've seen other stories like this, so we're probably not missing anything out of that original video. And the police confirmed it. They said the arrested man was taken to an East London police station where he remains at this time. We take all allegations of hate crime incredibly seriously. He took a video of the flags and showed lament that they're there. Where offenses have taken place, our officers are attending, supporting victims, and making arrests, and we will continue to do so. So just to be obvious with the two-tier justice system that we have here in America, and we see it over in England as well, there's just a little bit ahead of us, the pro-Hamas crowd can have massive rallies, hundreds of thousands of people shutting down the London Bridge, huge, massive rallies, chanting jihad. And the local police there in London say that, well, there's lots of definitions of the word jihad. It doesn't necessarily mean cut the head off the Jews. It can also mean intense personal struggle. So it's hard to say what they meant, and we're just going to let it go. And that's fine, but this guy says, wow, that's a lot of Palestinian flags, and he gets arrested. Got it? And it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting video to watch kind of surreal because it's a little look into our future this guy getting arrested it's on breitbart.com i encourage you to watch it if you don't have six minutes you can just uh scooch to the end there and his wife or whoever is taking a video of him he's far away now getting thrown into the back of the paddy wagon and it's so easy for these police officers to say oh i'm just doing my job and they will and they'll drag you away and there's nothing you can do and if you resist you'll look crazy if you resist then it will get you know, very bad for you. And they'll say, uh, and people will watch the video and be like, well, pff, the police probably have a point. I mean, look at him. I mean, look at him. He's going crazy. Clearly, they must be taking him away for a good reason. So you're in a real lose-lose once that happens. And the only way out, the only way uh, is power in numbers. That's it. Because here's the deal with that guy in New York. It wasn't just him. It wasn't just the construction worker. There was another construction worker right next to him. And there were many construction workers standing right behind him. There wasn't just one man with his toxic masculinity. There was a group of men. He was just the one guy who was most vocal at the moment. The others stood and had his back. It takes a group. It takes a crowd. It's the only way. If it's just one you're going to get taken down. 
And if you see a group, they have power in numbers. What are you going to do? Arrest all the Black Lives Matter, Matter protesters? You're going to arrest all of them? No, of course not. But it tends to be the courageous people who stand up on the conservative side. They tend to be one-offs, which is good for us, the rest of us. But it's bad for them. They're easy to take down, easy to arrest, easy to destroy their lives. And the rest of us sit back and say, oh, what a shame. Here's Douglas Murray. People shouting Allah Akbar by the statue of Winston Churchill. What a disgrace that they should be able to do that in our capital city. What a horror it would have been for Winston Churchill to have ever imagined it could come to this. They have defiled our national monuments and our sacred places. They have defiled the cenotaph, the monument to the dead of the two world wars. Britain paid an extraordinarily high price in seeing off fascism in the 20th century. And unfortunately, it's going to fall to this generation to fight off Islamic fascism in the 21st century. What a disgrace that it should have come to this. Governments should never have allowed it to happen, but it's going to fall on the descendants of the greatest generation to see off this version of fascism. And see it off, we must. Point of care. Lot- see it off, we must. Border Patrol, I talked to John Bender yesterday about this. Border Patrol says they've captured 73,000 people just last fiscal year, 73,000 people from what they call special interest countries. or They call these people special interest aliens. So these are people from Yemen, Somalia, Syria, stuff like that. Places that potentially are a national security interest. 73,000. Now, are all of them terrorists? No. But how many people committed 9 11? 18. 18 people. 73,000. Real quick on 9-11, give you a little sidebar. So uh, I still host the afternoon show on, on, uh, in San Diego, just FYI. So I'm up on San Diego stuff. Uh, a woman in San Diego posted a meme, not a meme, picture, cartoon, political cartoon. Yes, 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 a political cartoon of uh, six babies lying on their backs with a star of David being dragged across their necks and beheading the babies. Their heads are separated from their bodies and blood's gushing out everywhere. Okay, so she posted this, this, uh, this picture. Uh, and, the, and, and it says, uh, the, the devil is killing. I think it says the devil is killing. Or the devils are killing. Maybe it was something like that. And uh, that's obviously the Jews. The Jews are killing babies. Uh, it's terrific. I've never seen a political cartoon like this. If you go back and you look at political cartoons during World War II, like the Nazi cartoons, it would characterize Jews as like the thieves. Like, oh, they're stealing your money out of your back pocket or something. And it'd be like, be like a, car, a Jew with a big nose. It would never have, I don't, I've never seen, maybe, maybe, I don't, I haven't seen a, a like Nazi cartoon with Jews cutting off the heads of babies. I, I haven't seen that. So this is, seems to be an escalation in anti-Semitic political cartoons. So she posted it and you're like, okay, crazy woman. No, no, no. She is a professor at the university of San Diego, a Catholic school. Her, she's education sciences, whatever that even is. And so she teaches teachers and she's like on the local newspapers, uh, interfaith advisory council. And her main passion is to stop bullying in our, in our school. So it's like, huh? And then her dad, her, her, her husband, her husband is the imam of the Islamic Center of San Diego, which is San Diego County's biggest mosque. And he is highly decorated as well, winning all these awards for peace in San Like the local Rotary is giving him awards. Um, he's an advisor at University of San Diego as well, but he's the local imam. Now, the only reason I bring this up is he is the, and he does all this interfaith stuff too, which is great. Like, like he, he like won some award for Catholic Muslim interfaith Alliance or something. And you're like, huh, I wonder if the topic of the Jews ever came up. <laughs> I don't know what the interfaith Alliance for Catholics and Muslims do, but if any of their meetings, if any Catholic was ever like, Hey, Muslim guy, how do you feel about the Jews? I want to, I don't know. Maybe it never, never came up. Head to now. It's come up now. 
But I bring them up here because the Islamic Center of San Diego, it's right next to the radio studio, uh, it is where two of the 9-11 hijackers went to mosque while they were in San Diego preparing for 9-11, while they were taking flight lessons and told the flight instructor, uh, we don't need to land the planes. We don't need to practice that. We just need to practice the uh, flying them. And they uh, lived in these apartments right across the street from this mosque. So anywho, uh, 18, took 18. Did you 9-11? And here's the thing with 9-11, we won't unite like we did on 9-11 again, to, like 2021 or 2001. We won't, we won't. <laughs> the, the, that, September 12th will never happen in my lifetime. It really won't. I don't think so. Maybe you think we'll rise up. The enemy has planted a virus inside of our culture that has made it so that 9-12 will never happen again. This virus has made us very tolerant of evil. The social justice crowd has so perverted the concept of justice that we have, uh, we, we ignore justice in the name of toleration. Social justice has so perverted our concept of justice that we ignore justice in the name of toleration. So to be clear, to tolerate evil is to deny justice but we're told we must tolerate the evil uh, in real life Romans 12 says abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good toleration is not a virtue uh, in Revelation Jesus is writing to all these uh, Jesus is calling out all these churches and one of the churches he says I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel we do too we tolerate what is evil and there will be judgment on America. I think there already is. One more video on the point of power in numbers. So this is in New York City, a Muslim guy trying to tear down posters again. And a couple people say no. Take this in. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. No, don't touch me. No, don't touch me. That's the guy saying no. Get the out couple things in that clip first of all you're touching him he's touching me Ooh, you're touching you was touching Ooh, you can't touch you can't touch anyone Ooh. and you hear the end there's a couple of apologies he didn't do anything he didn't do anything some of these are going to spiral way out of control so the good guy he just pushes the guy with his forearm it's the back of his forearm kind of pushes him away Ooh. and i tell you listen that guy i'm i'm certain that this will result in one of these people 
getting arrested. There's no question because what's going to happen is the guys you're you're going to be in one of these and you're going to like take your your elbow is going to brush up against the guy's jacket and he's going to fall to the ground. You see this with the environmental activists do this a lot. They'll fall to the ground, writhing in excruciating. Oh, I'll never be able to walk again. And police will come and they'll arrest you. And the only way the righteousness will work here is that there's power in numbers. I'll end with this. Another Solzhenitsyn quote that we started off with. Like we started off with. This is uh, about the police coming in the Soviet Union and taking away, taking people out of their homes, throwing them in jail. He said, and how we burned in the camps later. Thinking, what would things have been like if every security operative, when he went out at night to make an arrest, had been uncertain whether he would return alive and had to say goodbye to his family. Or if during periods of mass arrest, as for example in Leningrad, when they arrested a quarter of the entire city, people had not simply sat there in their lairs, paling about with terror at every bang of the downstairs door and at every step on the staircase, but had understood they had nothing left to lose and had boldly set up in the downstairs hall an ambush half a dozen people with axes, hammers, pokers, or whatever else was at hand. The organs would very quickly have suffered a shortage of officers and transported. Notwithstanding all of Stalin's thirst, the cursed machine would have ground to a halt. If, if, we didn't love freedom enough. And even more, we had no awareness of the real situation. So we purely and simply deserved anything and everything that happened afterward. editor-in-chief alex marlowe it was always wonderful you can hear that on the full podcast if you subscribe to sirius xm i want to play this segment we did with dr sebastian gorka it's always fantastic i love talking to him i love here's why i love talking to him there's always a question i ask him every week and I, i would never i would never ask anyone else but i know he has an answer and it's not just explain judeo christian values which is the first question i ask him it's when you were meeting with the president that one time, were you sitting down or standing up? And I know he has an answer. And it's for a reason. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know. I really, I genuinely didn't know if he was sitting down or standing up. But I knew he knew what he was doing. And I knew there was a reason why. And as soon as I, it happens every week. And as soon as I asked him, he started cracking up. And I was like, yes, this is going to be such a good reason. And he went into a whole thing about, about whether he was sitting down or standing up when he was talking to President Trump about getting out of the Iran deal. I bet I could ask him what tie he was wearing. You probably have a reason for that, too. Here's Dr. Sebastian Gorka. And Dr. Gorka, I forgot to wish you a happy birthday last week. I've regretted it all week. Happy birthday, sir. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Are you a big birthday guy or, or no? Uh, I'm my big birthday guy. I was an only child, so I guess that answers your question. <laughs> it's the most important week of the year for Dr. Gorka. Uh, well, I'm sorry I missed it, yeah. sir. Um, you wrote a fantastic article. I am reading uh, it on amac.us. Is there anywhere else people can read it? Should I just send it to your uh, Twitter? Uh, yeah, the, the, um, it might be up on Breitbart if Alex, uh, um, I'll have a word with him in a half an hour. I'll send it to Alex. He'll get it up there in a couple of days. And then I'll put it on my sub stack as well as soon as we're off the air. But but AMAC.US uh, published it first. Uh, but I'll put it on my sub stack today, which okay. is SebastianGorka.substack.com. Okay. This is uh, essential, the things you write here. Okay. So what does it mean that we live in a Judeo-Christian culture and civilization well look you know I, as i say in the article i could talk about that for hours if not days my my first degree was philosophy and theology and we can you can do that for ages but but you know if just the essentials of what judeo-christian civilization means number one uh, the the first pillar is of course ancient greece 
the, the great philosophers of our civilization, Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates, the focus on knowledge and reason and man's capacity to know the truth, number one. Number two is, of course, uh, a Roman antecedent, so it's Greco and Roman as well, because of the, the concepts of law, of systems that work. The whole idea we have a Senate is because we have a, had a Senate in ancient Rome. So reason and law, but most of important, most important of all, just ask yourself, uh, you know, as a listener, as an American, as a patriot, why you have rights? Why, why do any of us have rights? We only have rights not because they're given to us by the government or by some monarch. We have rights because of a very simple phrase in the Bible. You are made in the image of your creator. And our founding fathers knew that. There's a reason that the phrase unalienable rights is linked in our founding document to the word creator with a capital C. We are imago dei. We are made in the image of God. And that is why we have unalienable rights. That is why we are a Judeo-Christian civilization. That comes from Christianity. That comes from the Judeo foundations of Christianity. Look at all the other religions of the world, the polytheism of the, the, the Greeks, the polytheism of, of, of the Romans. We have a relationship with a God who isn't capricious, who isn't jealous, who doesn't act like we do. We have an actual covenantal relationship with him. That comes from where? That comes from Judaism. And of course, what did Jesus actually say? The man who was nailed to a piece of wood for our sins, he said, I am the fulfillment of the ancient law. That's why we are a Judeo-Christian civilization. Yeah, it seems like you uh, you said in the article that uh, a bit of an a bit of an anti-Semite, perhaps maybe that's too strong. Spoke to you the other day. What, what was his deal? Oh my gosh, it was so disturbing. I went to <laughs> an amazing group of of MAGA Republicans in uh, San Mateo uh, uh, County for their their Reagan dinner two uh, two weekends ago. And in the Q&A, the, the leader of the Stanford Republicans stood up, uh, you know, a kid, super smart, really clearly smart. And he just railed. He said, no, we're, we're not a Judeo-Christian civilization. We're a Christian civilization. And uh, Jesus uh, was only ethnically a Jew. He wasn't really a Jew. And I'm going, dude, what are you rambling about? And of course, he was a Tuckerite. He was a Neo-Buchananite. He basically said... Forget about Israel. Israel's irrelevant. They can look after themselves, not our war. And the point I made, give me a quote in the Bible. This guy's a convert to, to, to Catholicism and, you know, like, like most converts are real zealots. And I said to him in front of the whole audience, the Q&A, hey, buddy, find me the line in, in, in the New Testament where, where Jesus says, love thy neighbor, but only up till the border. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Explain right? that. Well, where, did Jesus say, love thy neighbor, but only in your own country and, and, and up to the, the border of the country? Or is the message of the New Testament that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just the Jews. It's the Gentiles as well. That's the whole point of the new covenant. But he said, no, basically, we'll, we'll pray for Israel, but the, the slaughter of innocents in Israel has nothing to do with us. And I said, wrong, absolutely wrong. It's, it goes back to the, the jihadists as well. You have to understand your enemy. When the jihadists say, and I've actually tweeted about this, you know, you can see the evidence on my timeline. When they say, first, we will come for the Saturday people, meaning the Jews, and then we will come for and kill the Sunday people, meaning us, the Christians, you have to realize this is a civilizational war. And that's why I wrote the article, We Are All Jews Now. I mean, after what happened three weeks ago, people need to understand this is a civilizational war between the Judeo-Christian civilization and the savages. Yeah, Romans 11 uh, is, is where this uh, young man needs to, to read uh, the opening line. Paul uh -huh. says, uh, he says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And uh, he says, by no means. Yes. By no means. And goes on right. this whole thing. And then I love Romans 11 because at the end of it, because for a while, like, it's a pretty complicated chapter. And, and you, when your head's spinning, I think Paul knows that your head is spinning. So he ends it with like like this just praise to God, this praise and awe of God and your your wonders and your power and your awe and everything about it. Because it's like, who, who else could come up with this if, if it wasn't uh, God's truth? But anyway, because uh, I was curious about the, the relationship between Christians and Jews and, and 
obviously the Bible writes all about that. So Romans 11, if you're curious about more. Um, all right, so it's really important to do what you did and for everyone to know what you know, what you just said about uh, where we came from, the, the values of Jerusalem and, and Greece and Rome coming together as one and the little Scottish enlightenment sprinkled on top. That's all good. But we grew up in this soup, so I don't think people understand it or appreciate it or know what yeah. the alternative is. So you're like, yeah, reason, law, okay, I get it, good. As opposed to what? What are these other worldviews, if not that obvious one? Wow, that's a great question. So let, let's look at a couple of things. Look, let's look at. Uh, are you a, are you a sci-fi fan, Mike? Uh, <laughs> I I'm not, but I I wish I was because a lot of smart people that I know are, and I don't quite get it. So, so I'm, I'm willing to become one. Well, it's, it's very easy. Sci-fi is a vehicle to talk about important things without being obvious, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 you know, it's. That's really why why you know Star Trek was such a groundbreaker, and you know you could talk about race issues, but you're not talking about race issues, for example. Mm. It's just a device. It's for people to be philosophical without being obviously philosophical. The best Star Trek movie is is The Wrath of Khan, and there's a moment at the end where Spock dies because he saved the ship and he's been ir irradiated, and he's talking to Kirk through this you know radiation screen, and he says, "Why did you kill yourself?" And Spock says. Sometimes the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. That's every other culture. Well, Spock is actually being a commie there. Okay, it makes a great drama, but that philosophy is collectivist philosophy. It's the opposite of what we believe in the Judeo-Christian civilization. The needs of the many do not outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Because each one of us is endowed with a soul from our creator, every single one of us, has equal worth. If you go to China, if you go to Russia, the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the individual. The in, individual is a totally and utterly expendable, right? That's, that's very common. In, in other parts of the world, such as Africa, it used to be for us before Christianity, things were very tribal, right? We, we were tribal societies, we were clan societies, so we functioned on sub-collectives. And, and then lastly, when it comes to religion, we are unique because we, every single one of us, everybody who's listening to the show right now, has a relationship with God, a direct relationship with God. And his son saved us forever because he took his sins upon us as a sinless man. Every other religion doesn't have that. If you look at Islam, Islam, for example, the idea that you have a relationship with God is utterly blasphemous. The idea that there are any limitations on God are also likely a totally blasphemous. God can decide in Islam that today murder is bad and tomorrow murder is good. It is a completely different capricious conceptualization mm -hmm. of the creator. So you know, this, these are the, the essentials of why our civilization is utterly different. We have a relationship with God and the individual has value be, because he's made in our creator's image. But, you know, the, I could go on and on and on. No, well, that capriciousness of God, that's very interesting. I've never heard that before. Um, that makes... Yeah. That makes yeah. it like like the Roman gods were, were like that. Like Zeus yeah. can just like, he's yeah. like crazy. And, and you know the phrase, Inshallah, when, when they shout, Inshallah, the will of Allah, Allah's will be done. That's not in the sense of how Christians say, thy will be done. Have you ever wondered why, if you see the videos from the Middle East about Al-Qaeda and ISIS, why they fire their AKs without aiming them? They'll kind of just reach over the berm. And, and they'll just fire the AK randomly. Why? Because they don't need to aim it. The bullet will find their enemy if God wills it. Yeah. Uh, if, if it. If it doesn't, if he doesn't, uh, then it won't. But you don't need to aim the gun because everything is the will of God. It's, it's a very different conceptualization. Yes, very interesting. Okay. Um, we've been... more, more in my first book, the one that got me to the White House. So you really want to understand what we're up against and what the bad guys believe. Defeating jihad uh, is, is what I did for the Green Berets and for the for the rest of the military for more than a decade. And I explained it all there. De defeating jihad is the real explication. Why do you say it got you to the White House? The Middle East. Because I wrote it and I got on the radar screen of, of uh, a real estate mogul in New York called Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of that guy. Um, <laughs> so there's there's this place called Japan. 
which is an interesting case study for yeah. things. Because uh, last week or this week, we've been talking about the difference between peace and truce. Um, those are different. And we have a peace with Japan, even after right. we drop some bombs on them. Uh, and and that's, that seems like that wouldn't have happened. It seems like we wouldn't have had peace with Japan. Can a peace be made with... This is too broad of a question. Let me just go and we'll, we can narrow it down. Can yeah, peace be Arab, made with people in the Middle East? The yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this is, I was struggling with this yesterday because say they do, which is practically impossible, say they, they, they kill everybody in Hamas um, in the next few weeks or months, if the IDF does. Israel's still not safe. They're still not safe. If you look at the polling data, the, 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 the scant polling data that is available from that part of the world. More than 70% of the people who live there, uh, you know, in Gaza, in the West Bank, want Israel to disappear. You know, the, the phrase, you know, from the, from the river to the sea, that, that's what they believe in, that, that Israel should be wiped off the face of the earth. So you, you all, you're, you, you, even if you take out the terrorists, you still have millions of people who are recruiting fodder, for Iran, for the ideologues, for the you know the the theologians and so forth. So, um, counterterrorism is is a, well any war, but counterterrorism as well is about two things. You look at the enemy and you have to target two things simultaneously. You have to target their will to fight, and you have to target their capacity to fight. Israel is really really superb at targeting their capacity to fight, right? Yeah, taking yeah. out this person, taking out that rocket silo, whatever it is. But but to be really effective, you have to strike both of those things. You have to strike the will to fight and the capacity to fight. You look at Vietnam. Vietnam, what was their capacity? Not a lot. But their will, their will to fight you to the, you know over the ra last paddy field was absolutely gargantuan. The question is, can Israel do what needs to be done to demotivate, to make sure that the will to keep killing babies and girls at rock concerts is rock bottom? And what I've been saying from the beginning, and maybe I'm just in a hurry, you want to deal with the will to fight? You know, forget the tunnels in Gaza. Yes, rescue the, the, the hostages, absolutely, and kill the key commanders that are in Gaza. But what I hope Mossad is doing this right now, because they're usually rather good at this, is they should be sending, you know, four dozen guys across the planet with silence 22s and just whacking every Iranian bastard military terrorist leader out there. I don't care whether it's in a you know, hotel elevator in Belgium or I don't care whether it's on the beach in you know, Saint-Tropez. Mm, just no whack the biggest bastards like we did with Soleimani when yeah. we were in the Trump administration. That's the demotivation. If you go after the people who are actually funding the foot soldiers, if you go after members of the Iranian regime across the globe, that will have a long-term effect on the stability of the region. They did it after Munich, after the Munich massacre. Now they have to do that on steroids, Mike. Yeah, so that's right. I haven't heard anyone talk about that because I keep hearing that the Hamas leaders are in Qatar and mm -hmm. like like living the lap of luxury. It's like, Correct. well, like, the, why the are they still? Country, by the way, let's just to be clear here. The Hamas leaders, the masterminds are in Qatar, the same country that the Biden administration decided we should trust with the $6 billion to give back to Iran. That's how <laughs> this white house is. Oh, you're right, of course. Okay, so two questions. Israel, so the question is, it will Israel... I like this segment. If you post this online, you can call this from Plato to, to hit squads. <laughs> we will. Uh, okay, so uh, will Israel destroy or do they want to or are they hmm. they need to destroy the will of the enemy okay so the question is will yeah. they yeah. won't they okay fine can, i guess my question is can the will of hamas be destroyed because i think we were talking about world war one earlier and i can imagine you finding a german civilian in world war one and they're like i don't even know who the archduke franz ferdinand is like whatever like right. but like right. these people have been trained since they were little kids to hate the Jews, mm -hmm. I think. So can they even, no matter what you do, can it be, demor they be demoralized? 
you, you could get to a place where um, Israel suffers from very low-grade terrorism, right? The ones and twosies. As, as long as Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah isn't getting literally millions, tens of millions of dollars uh, every single month, isn't uh, actively training and recruiting foot soldiers, you'll, you'll just get the wackos, right? It's like, you know, do you remember... Jihadi Jane in Pennsylvania. Jihadi Jane wasn't really a threat to, to, to the survival of America. Uh, she had to be dealt with. She had to be detected, uh, you know, arrested, uh, and tried and convicted. But but to do that, to get to that point, where it's just the onesies and twosies, you have to deal with Iran. You have to deal with the Muslims. And this is why, you know, you know why I can cry about this? When we were in the administration... What proudest moment for me was when Steve and I, in front of the cabinet, explained why the Iran deal has to be killed, and the president said, okay, we're going to kill it. Mm-hmm. But after that, we put in place the most uh, vicious sanction regime against the bloodthirsty mullahs in Iran the world had ever seen. We managed to affect more than a 40% drop in the Iranian stock market, 40% in one year, because we so put the squeeze on. By the end of our administration, The Iranian economy was on the brink of collapse, which would have meant a possibility for a real revolution, a Persian revolution, and the people of Persia take back their country from the bloodthirsty murderous mullahs. That's all been nixed. That's that's all been turned around. If we get back in the White House, God willing, if we do our part to make 45-47, we can reinstate all of that. And if Iran, if Iran, stops being run by the people who are funding all the terrorism, then then Israel can be safe, my friend. Make 45-47. That's a great, that's a great line. Okay, uh, when you and Steve Bannon were convincing Trump to get rid of the Iran deal, were you sitting down? Well, we, didn't, we didn't need to convince. He knew. He just wanted us to be his pitch men in front. He called us into the Oval one day, and the rest of the cabinet were there. And he said, okay, he called us the heavies. He said, okay, my heavies, tell these guys <laughs> why we have to kill the JCPOA. And we did the, you know, the DC 60-second elevator pitch just to make sure the cabinet got why the president was doing what he's doing. He knew what had to be done, just oh. like he always does. Oh, interesting. What room were you in? The Oval. Everybody was around the Resolute desk, on the sofa, standing up. H.R. McMaster, Rex Tillerson, uh, um, you know, um, what's his name, the, the chief of staff, Reince. And, and he just wanted us to give them the justification so they understood it so he could pull the pin on, on, on the Obama deal. Were you sitting down or standing up? Standing, standing, standing. <laughs> what, if, what, what if you were sitting down? Oh, I couldn't. I can't brief. I, I, I can't brief sitting down. I can do radio for three <laughs> hours, but if I'm briefing, my, my brain has to be like in full gear. And like, like when I'm teaching, I never I never talk sitting down. I teach for eight hours straight when I was at Bragg, but I would be standing the whole time. Ask anybody who's gone on the Q course, Dr. G never sat down. <laughs> and and as, as my friend Carl Serafin said, on my show today, the FBI whistleblower, he said he had a really cool dad who was his influence for what it means to be a man. <laughs> this guy said, I love it. I've used it since then. It's not a real job if you're sitting down. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh, that's good. What did, what was the, what did the room do? I, I want to ask like specifically what, like what, oh was, what Rex Tillerson so did or what. Pathetic. It was so, Tillerson and, and HR and all these pathetic, you know, swampy people and establishment people. You know what they said the most? They said, oh, you can't do that. Uh, our European allies will be so annoyed at us. Like, like we give a crap what, what the commies in, you know, the EU think. I mean, really? I mean, really? They, they, were, they didn't care that Iran is on the brink of getting nuclear weapons because of Obama. They were afraid what the, you know, the latte-sipping, you know, uh, French, Italian uh, bureaucrats in the EU would think. It was mm. pathetic, Mike. Yeah. All right, I got a question for you, Dr. Sebastian Gore. Yeah. We've seen these videos of people ripping down the posters that say kidnapped on them. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we've seen the video of the New Yorker who uh, presented a uh, some masculine imposition upon one of the, yeah. one of the uh, Muslims, I suppose, who did it. And he turned into a, a babbling coward saying he's like against littering or <laughs> whatever. 
Uh, but I've seen a lot of these videos uh, of people proudly ripping these down. Right. What would you do knowing, Dr. Corker, that if you if your elbow brushed up against this person's jacket, the police would arrest you for assault? Yeah. What would you do in this moment? Um, I'd just go New Jersey on them. I, you know, that, that New Yorker, that was like quintessential New York, New Jersey. You know, just just call them out for being the scum they are. I mean, this, this is, I'm going to be doing a, a block on this on my, my Newsmax show this Sunday um, with, with Victor Davis Hanson. You guys have got to watch it. This, this is vomitous. Uh, forget that guy. That guy looked like he was from South Asia, like maybe Pakistan or Bangladesh. But when you see young white kids do this, and Asians as well, the kid at Cornell, what the heck is going on there? You know, Asians are more discriminated against than anybody in this country. I mean, if you've got wicked, you know, scores on, on your MCAT and you want to go to med school, if you turn out to be yellow, you're just not getting in. That's how racist. That's, you know, the Democrats look at you as yellow. Therefore, you must be privileged because you're so smart. They're so bigoted instead of understanding that the heart, the Asian Americans are the hardest working people in America when it comes to school. And and you're tearing down the posters. I mean, there, there's a video. Have you seen the one from Boston U where this girl is filmed with another Asian student ripping down the posters of kidnapped children? And then somebody keeps filming her. And she says at the end, I'm Jewish. And you go, and, and Israel has occupied the Middle East. And you go, oh, my gosh, you're a Jewish student, and you don't understand that Israel has been there for 6,000 years, and this is God's chosen people, that Palestine was never a thing. It was a word invented by the Romans to insult the Jews based upon the word Philistine. It was actually an insult. I mean, how does a Jewish kid become a hater of her fellow co-religionists? I know why, because she doesn't believe in the religion. She, she, she's secular. But to have young Americans become fascists? I mean, they called us Nazis for six years, Mike. They called me, the president, MAGA voters, Nazis. We know who the Nazis are right now. Yeah. It's the left. They hate the Jews, and they hate America. And this isn't a Kristallnacht. We'll be in seven, uh, six days. The beginning of the Holocaust in 1938, Kristallnacht, will be in just a couple of days. That was in Germany, okay? It led to six million dead Jews. We're now witnessing it in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We're witnessing it in Cornell. We're witnessing it outside the Sydney Opera House with Australian Muslims literally shouting, gas the Jews. It's not Kristallnacht in one place. It's Kristallnacht across the globe, and people need to wake up. The left has become the most racist, genocidal place, institution in the world. The Nazis are on their side. If you saw a man ripping down posters, what would you tell him? Yeah. Um, I'd, what would I tell him? I'd tell him, uh, wh why? why I'd I just ask you a very simple question. I'd, I'd do what Andrew Breitbart told us. Get out your phone, start filming them, and say, why are you on the side of the baby murderers? Very, yeah. just, very simply, why yeah. are you on the side of terrorists? Why? In the Knesset yesterday, in the Israeli parliament, people walked out of their tough, combat-hardened veterans, who are now members of parliament, walked out of there just totally shredded, crying, sobbing. Why? Because the IDF, because the intelligence forces gave the government the footage of the baby being roasted alive in front of uh, its parents by Hamas. They said, okay, we're, we're not supposed to do this in, in, in Jewish law. The, the dead body, the, the, the victim is, is sacrosanct. That's why they have to be buried so quickly. No, we're going to show you the baby Hamas baked and watched and, and filmed it. And you're going to watch it so everybody understands what we're up against. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask them, okay, you're on the side of those that, that roast babies in ovens, you piece of human filth. That's what I do. And film it like those great guys from New York did. Yep. Dr. Sebastian Gorka, where can people learn, read, listen more? Yeah. Um, the Substack for the articles, I'll, I'll put the, the latest one up there. It's Sebastian Gorka, one word, Sebastian Gorka, G-O-R-K-A. Um, 
Sebgorka.substack.com. And then everywhere else, just look for Seb Gorka. That's S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A, Sebgorka.com. We're on Rumble. Uh, we're on Truth Social, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You get it uh, everywhere. And then, of course, 3 to 6 every day, uh, Salem Radio across the nation, the America First show. And the book that got into the book, White House. If you want to know what these people believe, the book is Defeating Jihad. That's it. Defeating Jihad, The Winnable War, New York Times bestseller. Dr. Gorka, always an honor, sir. I can't wait for next week. God bless. Thank you, Mike. Grateful. I'm American made. Listen to Breitbart News Daily. Oh, tomorrow we have one more not so hypothetical war question to run by you. Uh, Francis Martel is here. Goodness, we have some uh, international players that we need to understand. That's why I love talking to Francis. Like, I don't know Lebanon. I got it right. I don't know what the Jordanian monarchy. But Francis is like, oh, yeah, I mean, so we got to know these other players that are like, what's Turkey's motivation here? Would they really get involved? Because the president says they will. So what's all this? So we'll talk with her. Uh, we never got to resentment this week. Hopefully we can talk about some of that as well. Lots to do tomorrow. Super grateful you listened today. I hope we can see you tomorrow as well. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. Mm-hmm.